Hi, it's Martine. Before today's show begins, I just want to remind you about a chance to experience Post Reports live in person. On April 13th, I will be on stage in D.C. having a conversation with best-selling author Curtis Sittenfeld. Curtis is one of my favorite writers. You probably know her from one of her many novels, Rodham, Prep, Eligible. She's got a new one out called Romantic Comedy, and it is so delightful. It was my favorite book that I've read in quite a while. So I'll be talking to her about that, but also about her and about her career and what it's like writing for an audience that is just desperate for something that feels good in the midst of so much bad news. The conversation will be on April 13th at 7 p.m. in Washington, D.C. at 6th and I in partnership with Politics and Prose. This event will also be live-streamed, so there's still an option to be a part of it, even if you can't make it to D.C. You can purchase tickets at 6thandi.org. That's 6thandi, the letter I, dot org. We'll also have more details in our show notes. Thank you, and I hope to see you there. When Russia invaded Ukraine, President Vladimir Putin was making a big bet about how power works in Europe. To justify the war, Putin cited the possible expansion of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the military alliance that includes the U.S., the U.K., Belgium— Putin said he did not want NATO expanding. He didn't want it any closer to Russia's borders. Now, more than a year later, NATO has gotten bigger. And it's getting closer to Russia, thanks to the addition of Finland this week. It's a really big moment for Finland as a country, and it's a really big moment for NATO. Emily Rahala is the Brussels bureau chief for The Post. And she says the invasion of Ukraine changed everything for NATO. We've heard a lot of people talk about how much this changes the big picture geopolitically. It was redrawing the maps of the world. And Finland officially switching from a status of military non-alignment to a member of this very powerful alliance is really a, a vivid manifestation of those changes. So it adds a member to the alliance, and it also sort of redraws the security map in Europe. And it is, of course, also a message to to Vladimir Putin and to Russia. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, April 5th. Today, there is a new world order. I talk with Emily about why Finland is only joining NATO now and what this bigger, beefed-up alliance actually means for Russia. Emily, were you at NATO headquarters when Finland was officially brought in? Yeah, I was there yesterday. The sort of main event started with the formalities between U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, the head of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, and the Finnish foreign minister. So, Secretary Blinken, there, Tony, uh, welcome. Uh, welcome back to the NATO headquarters. And uh, it's great to receive you here uh, on such an historic day for NATO. Uh, because uh, uh, the Washington Treaty, NATO's founding act, was signed uh, on the 4th of April, 1949. And, uh, today- and from there, the foreign ministers from NATO countries and other officials who were in town walked outside NATO's sort of vast headquarters um, in the outskirts of Brussels and assembled around 
a part of the exterior of the building where there's flags from all 30 members. This is an historic day. We welcome Finland as the newest member of our alliance. And yesterday, to mark the accession of Finland, the 31st member, the Finnish flag was raised. So it was quite a moment in the outdoors in the sun. And Sweden also wants to join NATO, right? Emily, tell me about this run-up, not to just Finland joining, but also Sweden wanting to join NATO. Like, if you had to point to a particular moment that caused this to happen, what would it be? Yeah, it's sort of a fascinating story. It's a little bit different in the two countries, but basically both countries have relatively long histories of being military non-aligned. These are European Union countries. They're broadly aligned with the rest of Western Europe. But in terms of military affairs, they said, we are not aligned. We're not picking a side. That all changed on February 24th, 2022. When Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine, that really changed overnight, particularly in Finland. There was an immediate sense that the security situation in Europe had changed. And very quickly, Finland certainly decided that it was time to join the alliance. Sweden took a little bit more conversation and perhaps a little bit of nudging from Finland, but both countries made that historic decision that it was time to end their years of non-alignment and seek the security of the alliance. Yeah, let's take a step back and talk a little bit more about NATO. Emily, can you remind us what is NATO and, and what does it mean to be a part of it? So NATO is, at its heart, a security alliance who have agreed basically uh, all for one and one for all. What that means is that there's a security clause. If you are attacked, we will come to your aid. And the NATO alliance has really been at the core of the sort of broader security picture in Europe. Um, It, of course, includes the United States and Canada as well, but at the core of European security since it was created in 1949. Um, It has grown throughout the years. And the accession of Finland and assuming that Sweden is able to join, Swedish succession, uh, will bring the alliance to its most members yet. And so what, what has Russia's relationship been to NATO since the Cold War ended? Russia is not a fan of NATO. It very much sees NATO as a threat to its own power and it says a threat to its own security. Ties between Russia and NATO have been, at moments, relatively good compared to where they are now. There used to be some level of communication and cooperation between the two sides. Again, the full-scale invasion that started in February of last year really changed that. And the relationship between NATO and Russia now is extremely bad. Among the various reasons that Putin cited for his invasion of Ukraine was the idea that NATO expansion is a threat. And one irony here is that he says he launched this invasion to sort of fight back NATO's growth. And instead, what he's getting is a much larger, much stronger NATO right at his doorstep. I mean, is there any evidence to suggest from perhaps like independent analysis or anyone else that that NATO's expansion did indeed push Putin into this uh, position more, isolated Russia a little bit more, and may have made it easier to make the decision to invade Ukraine? Or is that 
you know, this explanation that is convenient for Putin? I think there's a lot of convenience for Putin. Um, First of all, Ukraine is, um, though it would like to be a NATO member, Ukraine is not close to becoming a NATO member still, even after the invasion. If you talk to NATO's officials and diplomats and say, when is Ukraine going to be a NATO member? They can't give you an answer. And that was true as well before the full-scale invasion. Emily, tell me a little bit more about why Finland and Sweden were not in NATO to begin with. Like, I'm imagine I know they're two different countries, so there's probably, you know, different reasons, and people in Finland and Sweden probably feel differently from one another about this, but I want to learn a little bit more about the, the posture and how this evolved. I think Finland is particularly interesting here um, because Finland has this really sort of complex and relatively recent history with Russia. Um, In the 1939-1940 Winter War, uh, Finnish soldiers on skis helped fight off a Soviet invasion. Um, They beat back the Russians, um, but they lost territory and people to the conflict. And that is a very real and core part of the story that Finnish people learn as children. It's a real part of the identity and the very recent history. And so with that history in mind, they always felt that it was safer for them to take sort of a a military non-aligned and sort of neutral space between Russia and the West for their own security. That wasn't a choice that they necessarily loved, but it was they felt it was their only choice. And for Finland, that changed really quickly when Russia launched its full-scale invasion. The Swedish situation is a little bit different. Um, for Sweden, it's a much longer history of military non-alignment. It's part of who they see themselves as, as a country. Um, but again, that changed really quickly on February 24th of last year, and they decided really the only way forward for their security was to join NATO. I do know the map, the European map, but it might be helpful to just think about geographically where Finland and Sweden are located in relation to Russia, because there's a really long border, right? That's right. I mean, one of the reasons that Finland's accession in particular is so significant is because of the geography. Finland shares a border with Russia that's more than 800 miles long. That's the land border. So the fact that just Finland joining the alliance immediately doubles NATO's land border with Russia. And it also brings NATO all the way up to northern Finland, which is sort of the Arctic area where Russia has a lot of its military and its subs parked. So having the alliance that far north will sort of change not only the Arctic, but that Baltic Sea region where you have border between Russia and the West. Yeah, and Emily, why was Sweden not allowed into NATO? Who determines who gets to join and how does that process work and and what happened with Sweden? Yeah, that's a great question. When Finland and Sweden decided last year that they wanted to join the alliance, they said, we're going to do this together. Uh, It makes sense. We're already neighbors and very close uh, allies, uh, both politically and in terms of the defense. And they thought also, if we're going to anger Russia, let's do it once. And so they were really came into this with the idea that they were going to join NATO together. What happened is that these decisions need to be made by all allies. All allies have to agree to new members. Things looked good around the time that they said they wanted to apply. And then Turkey sort of surprised everybody by objecting. 
Sweden and Finland's bid to join NATO has stalled as Turkey continues to block the two countries from joining the military alliance. That started what has been uh, many, many months of very fraught diplomacy over getting Finland and Sweden into NATO. Well, Turkey is now resuming talks with Sweden and Finland over their NATO membership bids after it repeatedly objected to Sweden's application. In the end, NATO and Finland decided that it was better to get Finland in first, get that long land border with Russia sort of within the alliance, and to handle these sort of complex negotiations about Sweden after the Turkish election this May. Uh, NATO officials and diplomats say they're confident that Sweden will still become a member, but certainly it's not what anyone envisioned when this process started a year ago. So Turkey's objection to Sweden and its criticism against Sweden, it doesn't have anything to do with Russia. Can, can you just tell us a little bit more about what that objection centers on? That's right. I mean, I think within the alliance, even within Turkey, there's a consensus that Finland and Sweden are good for the alliance from a military perspective, from a strategy perspective. They have strong armies and advanced weaponry, all of those things. But Turkey has has made demands relating to Sweden's extradition of what it calls, quote-unquote, terrorists from a militant group. First, we saw Sweden's application for NATO membership as an opportunity for us to establish a comprehensive and long-term cooperation in the fight against terrorism. However, we saw that the commitments made in the fight against terrorism within the scope of the Memorandum of Understanding were not fulfilled. Terrorist organizations have targeted our country and me the ugliest way. They did not even feel the, need. the militant group is the Kurdistan Workers' Party. And this is sort of a long-standing diplomatic issue between Turkey and Sweden. And basically what's happened is the Turkish government has used this chance, used this moment of leverage to try and shape Swedish policy. Last uh, summer at a big NATO summit, Turkey, Finland, and Sweden struck a deal with Turkey saying, OK, we are going to do X, Y, Z if you agree to let us in. Uh, NATO officials and diplomats say that Sweden and Finland have met those criteria and honored the deal, but Turkey is seeking additional concessions. I believe they see a moment of opportunity to call attention to their issues and to seek concessions from Sweden, and they're seizing that. And that's why we've seen such a delay on the Swedish side. After the break, we talk about how expanding NATO could be good for world security. And also why there's some skepticism about the power of the alliance. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. I'm wondering what is the argument for expanding NATO, you know, beyond what it means for Finland and Sweden, but for Europe and security on the continent and world security? So I think what NATO members and NATO officials would say is that we need to look at what Russia has done 
not just in Ukraine, but leading up to that, the invasion of Crimea, Russia's actions in Georgia, what they would say is that there's a pattern of Russia being aggressive towards its neighbors, having a muted reaction from the rest of the world, and then taking another aggressive action in its neighborhood. NATO sees its role as deterring that from happening again. What NATO believes is if that you have this mutual defense pact, you know, if you attack me, everyone comes to my assistance, all for one, one for all, that that is going to deter Russia from doing this again. So there won't be another full-scale invasion of a neighbor because those neighbors are going to be NATO members and Russia will know that if they pick a fight with a neighbor, they're going to be picking a fight with NATO. So the idea is deterrence. If we have this big, mighty military organization at Russia's border, they won't do this again. And I think that's why Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine was such a, a turning point for European countries, that they really began to see the value in the alliance again, which for many years just hadn't seemed that relevant. Emily, just stepping back and thinking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I mean, there is a long history of Russian aggression towards Ukraine. There was the annexation of Crimea. And then when I'm thinking about in more recent history and years, its relationship with Finland and Sweden, I mean, was an invasion or aggression of this scale ever on the table or considered realistic when it came to Finland, for example, which shares this big land border with Russia? I think there are two things that are important here. One has to do with Finland specifically, not Finland and Sweden. I do think for Finnish people that there is this fear, you know, in living memory, their grandparents, you know, quite literally fought off Russian invaders. So for Finland, that fear of aggression from Russia, losing territory is very fresh and real. But I think the other dynamic here, and one that applies to sort of both countries, is that part of the whole reason to stay militarily non-aligned is to avoid, you know, quote-unquote, provoking Russia. If we stay non-aligned, then they're going to follow the rules. The balance of power is going to hold. But the sense in both countries that um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine was, was so out of line, it was so unprovoked from their perspective, that they really just couldn't count on what Putin might do next. So I do think it was motivated by a genuine sense of we will be safer within the alliance. And right now there's nothing holding us back from doing it because Russia has shown that they're capable of doing something quite aggressive to a neighbor and we're not going to sit here and wait. But is there also a case for not expanding NATO? And I'm not thinking about like from Vladimir Putin's perspective, but are there people who feel like by doing this, it could escalate things and it could bring Russia into more direct conflict with its neighbors and even the United States? Sure. There are definitely people who see it that way. They see um, NATO's presence in Europe as reflective of, um, among other things, U.S. control in Europe, the U.S. role in Europe. Um, there are people who'd like to see more of this handled at sort of the European level. And certainly there are people who are skeptical of um, NATO expansion as an idea. I would say, though, that support for NATO in Europe has never been stronger. So countries and leaders and people who maybe two years ago were like, I don't know about NATO, maybe this is provoking Russia, maybe this is you know, U.S. imperialism, even some of those critics 
I think, are now seeing value in the alliance. And, and certainly um, more are than before the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. But Emily, how effective is NATO really as a military alliance? Because it, you know, it arose out of a Cold War reality, but we have several decades to see how effective it has been. And, and is it really that effective as a military alliance in keeping members safe and also deterring aggression? The alliance, like all organizations, has its supporters and its critics. And certainly there's been a lot of criticism, fair criticism about the alliance over the years, about its role in Afghanistan and in other conflicts. The key question, I think, when it comes to Ukraine and Russia's war in Ukraine, in terms of NATO's role, is will it deter Russia from doing what it did in Ukraine somewhere else? That's why there's so much focus on NATO right now. What NATO wants to do, what they say is their mission in this case, is to be united enough, strong enough, and well-stocked enough so that Russia will not launch this kind of invasion in a NATO member. And what has NATO been doing during the war in Ukraine? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting question because they're in a tough spot. On one hand... NATO's exists, it says, to essentially keep peace in this region, to prevent a large-scale conflict and to deter military aggression, to protect its allies. On the other hand, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, right? And the alliance does not have a um, responsibility under its mutual defense clauses to act in Ukraine's defense. So what NATO has been trying to do is offer support for Ukraine, uh, rhetorical support, sending um, equipment, sending winter gear, what they call non-lethal aid, without actually sending NATO troops to fight. They are concerned that if they were to get too involved, if they were to fight this war, that it would essentially devolve into World War III, a huge conflict between NATO and Russia. So NATO has been trying to sort of walk this delicate path between supporting Ukraine, helping its members support Ukraine bilaterally, and um, limiting that support so as not to increase the scale of the conflict. And what does Russia have to say about Finland and Sweden wanting to join NATO and now that Finland has joined NATO? So I think this is really interesting. You know, Russia has said a lot about this. Kremlin spokespeople are talking about this all the time. Every time there's a development in Finland and Sweden's accession. But Russia's reaction to this entire process has been entirely rhetorical. There has not been really much of a response from Russia. And I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, one, and probably the biggest reason, is that Russia's not in a great place to respond right now. Um, if they wanted to, say, um, change their posture to respond to Finnish membership, move assets, military assets towards the Finnish border, they're going to have a hard time doing that right now because so much of their, their military, their armed forces, their personnel and equipment is in Ukraine. And it's not going well in Ukraine. So to some extent, 
we haven't seen the kind of escalatory response that some people uh, expected, I think because they don't really have the capacity right now. And that's why we see this sort of rhetorical response from Russia, complaining about it, saying this is the U.S.'s fault, but not really doing much else. Emily, to me, this is like an example of mess around and find out. <laughs> like, <laughs> It pretty much is. I mean, this is like launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine and find out. This did not go well for Vladimir Putin on the battlefield, and it did not go well geopolitically. If we you know, look at the maps of of Europe, of Northern Europe, NATO's border with Russia just got a lot bigger in an area that is very important to Russia. And that's really not good news for the Kremlin. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking time to join us and explaining all of this to us. My pleasure. Thank you. Emily Rahala is the Brussels bureau chief for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. And of course, don't forget to sign up for Martine's live event at Sixth and I with the author of the new book, Romantic Comedy. We'll have a link to the event in our show notes and I hope to see you there. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.